money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now, we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. Mandy Drury is a veteran CNBC television anchor based in Sydney. Mandy has been a business and financial journalist for 22 years out of Tokyo, Singapore, New York, London, and now she's back home in Australia. Mandy has anchored CNBC programs such as Power Lunch, Street Signs, The Call, Market Watch, and the feature program for startups, Power Pitch. When we have a relationship with money, we're a function of how we grew up with it, mm-hmm. right? We are a function of our emotional manifestations of money. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a Mortgage Choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 1377-62 to speak to your local broker. Welcome to Tilly Money, Mandy. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And I'll add my welcome in as well to you, Mandy. Um, you and I have known one another for some time now. And That's it's right. been fantastic. And I can confess that I think the first time we met, I think it was over a a lunch where we were invited as mm-hmm. clients of a financial institution, which was great. And uh, and we got to know one another then and had some meetups. And then we were in a very dangerous situation, Mandy, because we'd been invited by the same financial institution to a function that was held in David Jones on um, one of the levels that they'd just converted into the most the amazing level. food, <laughs> most amazing shoe level. And I think everyone else was presenting and you and I were somehow or other still talking and looking at shoes, talking about very serious stuff, <laughs> but both having a love of shoes. So oh, Honestly, yeah. Maureen, I felt like we were kids in a candy store. It I just was. didn't know what, what pretty little pink thing to look at next. Oh, it was I know. It was such so an amazing experience. And then they gave us this terrible inducement because there was um, this wonderful gift where you got some incredible discount, not that it would have meant much in a saving from the shoes that we were just looking at, Mandy. That's yeah. right. And we also bonded over our mutual love of vintage clothes oh, yes, and we shopping. Did. Oh, we did. And, Claire, and the rest is history. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And the danger of this is that Claire discovered, oh. well, I discovered that Claire was equally an op shop. Very avid oh, op really? shopper. Yeah. Yes, I was yeah. riding on the, the coattails of that conversation as well because I'm, I'm all about op shopping. Yeah. yeah. And every now and and then we exchanged, just like you told me about the great one um, down in the Sydney Potts Point area, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a no-go zone at the moment. But the Wayside Chapel. The Wayside Chapel. And then Claire. Don't tell me, everyone. No, 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 no. <laughs> cut this. Edit this yeah. part there. And then you told me about the one at Bondi. Edit that too. Yes. And then yes. I've shared a few of mine. But also too, Claire comes from Melbourne mm. and we know, though you suggested that maybe It's a bit it's tapped changing. out in Melbourne. There's yeah. just too many hipsters that are just, they scour them they? empty. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, you know, taboo. the hipsters don't go over to Camberwell because it's Ooh, very uh, unhip. I mean, uh, it's very yes. nice and it's got yes. lots of, you know, lovely ladies who lunch and lots of poodles and that kind yes. of thing. 
but the hipsters don't really scour over no, there. They're not ah. looking for the same and kind of items no. as well. And yes. I think the best op shop that I found in Melbourne is actually in Burke Road, Camberwell, because oh. a lot of those lovely shishi ladies mm. wear an outfit at a at a, at a gala yes. or maybe a, you know one of their luncheons, yes. and they're like, well, I can't be seen in that again. Yes, so they and so it's a yeah. wonderful oh, treasure yeah. trove Isn't of, it? Of, of, yeah, of dresses there over there. People you know, don't realise. As soon as we get out of this, yeah, <laughs> and also too, we've got an office in Albert Park in Melbourne and there's not a bad little one there. It's ah, not so much okay. on the clothing but certainly if you're into little things like, you know, great additions to your crockery or mm-hmm. that's an old-fashioned word but, you know, really good quality things for the yes. same kind of demographic too. Mm. So, God, you learn everything oh, on Tilly Money, Claire. You do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so. And country op shops for ceramics, that is just oh, yeah. a oh, really? gold mine. Okay. A gold mine. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do an op shop or tour antiques. one day. Yes. Or a wagon wheel that you absolutely have to have on the wall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. The must and, have. Uh, but all... Well, they're not jokes. This is serious stuff because op shop is about recycling and it it's is. about saving money. Resourcefulness, so we'll, exactly. Resourcefulness. Yeah. Why don't we do a special on that, Claire? We one should. Day. You no, know, I'm going to whistle a new point to Mandy. Can you make sure that I'm in on that You're conversation? Yeah. You yeah. are definitely going to be in on that. But just to get a little bit more serious, just for a tick, just for a tick, um, Mandy, tell us how you got your start in business news. Mm. Tell us about you, Mandy. Okay. Mm. Well, um, back in the mid-1990s, I was actually working for a radio station in Sydney. It was called 2ME, and the mm. ME stood for Middle East. So it was um, a lot of our um, Arabic-speaking community who were there, and there were DJs, and they ran, they ran a wonderful radio station, and I was just a youngster learning mm. the ropes. And so I was doing the entertainment news, obviously in English, mm. And it largely consisted of things like, you know, um, who's wearing what on the Mm. red carpet and movie reviews, but also a little tiny bit of finance. Mm. For example, what the Australian dollar rate Mm. was on, on, you know, at that particular time. Mm. And when I checked back to see what the Australian dollar rate was in 1997, Mm. which was the year I was there, it's actually almost exactly the same as where it is now. Oh, How nice. about that? Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, what is old is new again. Mm. And so that's where I really sort of started doing a little bit of finance was mm. at 2ME and then went to another radio station. And then my then boyfriend, mm. now husband, oh, got mm. transferred mm. over to Tokyo and he mm. said, hey, do you want to come? Mm. Went to Tokyo mm. and um, applied to Bloomberg Radio and TV. Mm. And I didn't know... A huge amount about finance, mm-hmm. but I did actually speak Japanese because mm-hmm. I had spent a year working in Japan mm-hmm. after university. Well, that would have been amazing. And I think oh, it was largely yeah. virtue of speaking Japanese, yep. not my finance knowledge, that <laughs> yes. got me the job at yeah. Bloomberg TV and radio. Um, I read the Nikkei newspaper back to front mm. before the interview and honestly learned on the job. Mm. Um, Bloomberg was an amazing organisation because they really invest in their employees mm. and they, they say, look, you know, if you want to learn about derivatives, you know, we will teach you about derivatives mm. and they have a lot of amazing tools mm. um, and uh, and at the time courses that you could actually take. So I learned everything that I, mm. I know about finance pretty much on the job at Bloomberg mm. and then after that went to CNBC in Singapore. Yes, well, from the Middle East to Tokyo to CNBC Singapore, tell us more about that and where you are now. So um, I've been with CNBC now for 20 years mm-hmm. Um, I'm an anchor based here in Sydney, um, but you're absolutely right. Um, I've worked in a number of the offices around the world, such as the Singapore office for about eight Mm -hmm. years, um, the New York office for six Mm -hmm. years, and uh, I've been in the Sydney office now for four years, and there was another couple of years in Sydney in between all of that travel. Normally for my job, I would Mm -hmm. be actually travelling a lot, Mm -hmm. um, 
going to various places around Asia because mm-hmm. that's the area that I'm focused on, mm-hmm. um, but also, um, you know, often working out of the London office yes. or various other places that you need to go to for just doing the job. If there's mm-hmm. an event in, in China, mm-hmm. I will go to China, mm-hmm. you know, the, have job, we'll travel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but but COVID has put an end to all of that. Yes. So yeah. now I work out of um, the room above my garage. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, very glamorous, the glamorous world of TV. Um, I basically just have a camera. Mm. And uh, and I do all the lighting and everything myself. I'm, you know, a one-man band mm. and I'm only as good as the internet, which often, <laughs> often as we know, goes down. Yeah, uh, so that's where I am now. And I also yeah. do a lot of um, moderating of conferences, largely financial and banking conferences. Mm. However, um, you know, also non-profits, mm. um, you know, charity functions. Mm. Um, I've done stuff for women's organisations. I've done women's events at the UN, mm. climate change events at the UN. Mm. Um, I really enjoy that side of mm. what I'm doing now as well. Very mm. amazing. But even with conferences, I guess, you know, all our lives have changed significantly because there could be um, virtual events, but yes. those kind of conferences yep. ten- tended to have been, you know, faced um, live audiences. You know, what a change your life's gone through from... You are so yeah. right, Maureen. It's completely different. And had you asked me a year ago, mm. um, do you think that a virtual conference would work? Mm. I would have been, absolutely not, because yeah. you need to be able to feed off the yes. audience. You need the mm. audience to be able to participate. Yeah. I mean, they need to be able to network. I mean, mm. that's really one of the biggest value adds mm. of a conference, right? It's not just listening to the speakers. Yeah. It's being able to do the networking and yes, meeting people and mingling mm. like like I met you at a, yes, at, at a yes. function. Mm. Um, but actually virtual works quite mm. well. And mm. people, I've noticed the participants who, who, who log in or tune in are much more likely to ask a question that way mm. than standing up in front of True. a thousand of other people in a, yeah, in a conference room and put their hand up yeah. and they find that very intimidating. Mm. But actually this way I find you get many, many more questions mm. and a lot more engagement yeah, from the audience through virtual conferences. They actually work much better than expected. Yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how that pans out because even today, yeah. Claire, as you know, the previous um, podcasts we've been doing have mm. been online, but because of mm. our relationship, you know, you've come into the studio and we're all socially distanced. Um, <laughs> but, and when I realized you were here, I said to Claire, Oh my God, there's a person in the room. So yeah. it's been a complete change. So when COVID goes, we might be so adept at doing virtual things mm. that we might find it quite unusual. Just become normality. Be, yeah. yeah. Maybe a lot of things, blend. maybe mm. a lot of things will stay virtual. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. But back to your beginnings, though, Mm, what I find just so impressive is entering this world of finance and business, getting to know the whole landscape from the ground up, Mm. whilst also doing that in a second language just seems unreal to me. How was that whole process, that learning curve? In Bloomberg, Tokyo. So so fortunately, I was actually broadcasting in English, yeah. but you had to speak Japanese because all of the support staff, oh. um, so a lot of the producers, the um, the people who made the graphics, the yeah. people who did the videos, um, even the management were all Japanese. Wow. So at the time, it was a prerequisite yeah. to be able to speak Japanese, at least enough yeah. so that you could communicate with your team, which was mm. wow. obviously really important to do the job. I'm not mm. going to say I always followed the yeah. right instructions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'll have to watch some back views. I know. And see that how footage. good it was. Yeah. yeah. How did you kind of go about starting to learn about finance and mm. business? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it was self-study and on the job. Mm. And so quite often youngsters will come to me and say, hey, I'd really like to be a journalist. Or I'd really like to be a TV anchor. What do I need to do? Yeah. Or what degree do I need to do? to do that kind of job. And honestly, well, I think obviously any degree or any further learning is always, always valuable. Mm. Um, On the job, there's just no replacement for it. Yeah. You know, you can work on the job and I think it's, it's worth two degrees, seriously. Yeah. Um, So that's what I did. I I learned on the job. I just talked to people, interviewed people, listened a lot, read a lot. Um, A lot of it was just like self-study. Yeah. And did you have any mentors or kind of teachers? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there have been people who have taken a leap of faith and Mm. given me a break um, all the way through my life, including even now. And I'm incredibly grateful to them because I think it does take a leap of faith um, to, to, to give someone a break. Um, and I've always been very thankful for that and gone back to the people who've really helped me because it's vindicating for them too, isn't yeah. it? It's very gratifying for yeah. them yes. to, yeah. to see that you've done something yeah. with the break that you gave them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely had people who've, who've helped me very much along the way. Um, in terms of teachers, I also really watch my colleagues a lot too because I think they're the best in the business and sometimes you know one of my colleagues will do an interview and I'll I'll be like man that was great they ask great questions Mm. I'm 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 really impressed and I feel like I've learned a lot from my colleagues through the years as well yeah so true Mm. Mandy Claire at the beginning she read out a number of things that you've been doing like you've anchored CNBC programs like Asia Squawk Box and Power Lunch and Street Signs. There's a whole lot of things there. And one of them also was that you hosted a personal finance mm. show called Grow Your Wealth, which is very relevant for us here at Tilly yes. too. So there must have been some things that you really saw were gaps about people mm-hmm. not being able to grow their wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, can you take us through some of those things that you learned from anchoring that program. Absolutely, Maureen. So this particular program was largely focused on specialised areas of investment. So think horse racing syndicates or Margaret River wines, very specific, Mm. Aboriginal art, um, gemstones Mm. on the Thai-Myanmar border, incredibly expensive watches Mm. that are made out of either crocodile skin or even stingray leather, that kind of thing. So So what, what we would call... In financial terms, those collectibles. Yes. You know, that asset class yes. that has a broad range mm-hmm. of things like art, coins, etc. That That's mm-hmm. absolutely right. And because um, I was doing this out of Singapore and I, mean, I was travelling to wherever I needed to go. So, you know, when we did, for example, the special on gemstones on the Thai Myanmar border, that's exactly where we went. Wow. And we, we did all of the shooting and the mm. interviewing on the ground. Wow. Um, and so I would say that... Um, a lot of people, myself included, have big gaps when it comes to that kind of investing. Mm. And we were trying to, you know, there's a lot of information out there about, you know, personal finance, mm. you know, um, investing in funds or mm. getting started in stocks or, mm. you know, understanding your superannuation. But this was a specialised yeah. area that was actually quite exciting mm. because, as I say, um, a lot of people don't know about that. Sure. And our mm. audience being 
um, not just a high net worth audience, but quite a sophisticated mm. investor mm. audience um, and an Asian audience as mm. well. We were trying to appeal to the kind of kinds of mm. things that they would like to really collect. Yeah. Mm. Mega yachts, for yeah. example. Oh, yeah. you know? I've got a few of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so that was that was the beauty of that mm. show, and it was um, it was so much fun to do. And as I say, I learned a lot as well. Mm. Not that I have any, uh, you know, like thirty thousand dollar watches or yeah. mega yachts in my bank account. Still interesting. I mean. Just recently, yeah. I think I was reading in the Fin Review either yesterday or today, time goes so quickly, and John Simon, you know, the mm-hmm. old Aussie John, yeah. you know, he just sold his, I don't say he's called it a yacht, but it was a mega, mega um, home and it was some phenomenal amount of $80 million wow. or whatever, below mm-hmm. the value, but because, you know, these are difficult times. Sure. But I was talk- looking um, – when I read the article, it was he had an infinity pool and he had a theatre inside it. I mean, a home worth that much would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I was interested in reading that article so I can see yes. what you're saying. Other people would be interested in those type of collectibles. And it's aspirational, mm. isn't yeah. it? I mean, you don't, yeah. as I say, you don't need to be necessarily a high net worth individual to be mm. interested in this kind of yeah. thing. You might say, you know what, I am really interested in Aboriginal art, yes. I'd like to get on, um, get, get get with the program in mm. investing in some Aboriginal art. I've only got five thousand dollars. Where do Where I start? start? Yeah. Exactly. You, well, Claire um, is writing an amazing story that we'll we'll publish in Tilly. Yeah. About maybe you're best to tell it, Claire. But it's about a woman, a pharmacist. Yeah, she's a Sydney mm. pharmacist, mm-hmm. and she started collecting um, New Guinean art, and oh, she right. amassed this incredible collection. And ended up selling it at Sotheby's Paris. And I think she's only sold a portion of the collection. It reached like $1.5 million and Wow. Yeah. Which was a hobby that's turned into yeah. a nice income. She used that's to go to the amazing. local auction houses and just pick up things for $10 mm. here mm. and there. And then suddenly it's, you know, mm. it's incredible. That is incredible. Mm. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, but I'll tell you one tip I did learn when I was doing that particular series on art. Yeah. And they said, don't buy something just because you think it's going to be a good investment. Yeah. Buy it because you love it yes. and you want to look at it every single day. You want it in your house and on your wall yeah. because that mm. way, if it mm. doesn't turn out to be a good investment, yeah. you like won't be kicking yourself That's and right. thinking, what am I going to do with this ratty piece of art? You You should always buy something you love. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. so true. Mm. But Mandy, in all the work that you do, you know, covering stock markets and watching companies, you must have seen patterns. You must have seen things that recurred all the time. So are there any tips that you can give us, you know, that, um, you know, or maybe even it's just important to really understand companies Mm. before you even take that step in investing in the stock market? If I was going to give any advice, I would say don't get too emotional Mm. about an investment. For Mm. example, don't buy a house that you absolutely adore Mm. that isn't also a good investment or that's going to make you overextend yourself because then you know, you're going to end up hating that house mm. if it costs you so much money and you're mm. pouring lots of money into it. I always think of that um, movie back in the 1980s with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long, um, mm. The Money Pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think don't get too emotional or don't mm. go, don't get too attached to things. Same yes. with, you know, for example, stocks. Mm. Don't get too emotional about it. If if things are going really badly and the stock is perform, performing really badly because everything's being thrown out with the bathwater, mm. don't get nervous or too emotional mm. and suddenly sell it unless you absolutely have to. Mm. Bide your time, wait, mm. hopefully eventually things will recover. And I think yeah. I think that's something that I've learned as well with my own personal investments. Don't get don't get too attached and don't get too emotional. Because it's not like a piece of art, as you said, that yes. you can enjoy. I mean, massive amounts of money go into 
purchase of a home. Yes. Um, and in many ways, Mandy, I'm sure you've seen this experience, people do get emotional about their mm-hmm. first home, but maybe there's a different way of looking at a home. It's just your first step on the ladder to mm-hmm. growing your wealth. So it's your first investment, not yes. so much as something. Have you, have you, you obviously have thought things like that um, over mm-hmm. your time as well. Yes, mm. absolutely. And and the other thing I think I've learned, um, you know, by talking to a lot of people in the in the finance industry, mm. um, as my in my role at CNBC is, um, be honest. Mm. You know, if you're talking about you know any tips for people out there, I would mm. say be honest because when I interview a CEO that for for example might be too too media trained, mm. and so they always dodge the question. Yeah. You, know, you ask a question like you know. Um, what are you going to do about um, your company, which has you know performed very badly in the last mm. quarter? You know X, Y, Z mm. might have happened. What are you going to do if they say things like, "Well, that's a really great, God, great cool. question." Oh, yeah, I hate that one. But yeah. I think the most important thing is, yeah. and they suddenly pivot yes, yeah. and focus on something completely yeah. different and gloss yeah. over it. I think that's the worst thing they can yeah. do. I can imagine because, you nailing them though and trying to get the answer to well, that first question. Well, you try to. Try, you yeah. try to pin them down as mm. much as possible um, because at the end of the day, everything these days will eventually come out. Mm. There are no secrets or places that's to hide right. anymore. Mm. Um, you know, if there's a scandal, it mm. will eventually come yes, out. So, yeah. I, I, and I feel the market can be mm. forgiven. Mm. if you get transparency and a candid answer mm. from a CEO who confronts mm. it, you know, full on mm. and talks about, okay, you know, this has happened, but this is how we're going to fix it. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. so I it's think like that would be my tip. It's like the way politicians do it too, Mandy, is, you know, oh, gosh, they yes. do exactly the same kind of denial yes. and pivot. And we're all sitting there knowing, you know, that they're doing that. that. So, yeah, do you think we really, you know, are, are sucked in? By, by that, you know, yeah. the next election tells all. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you're so right. So have there been any standout tips or advice, though, that you've learned on the job and then implemented yourself? Um, in the great and very wise words of the veteran investor Warren Buffett, yes. uh, be fearful mm. when others are greedy. Yeah. And be greedy only yes. when others are fearful. I think um, there are no truer words than that. Mm. Um, and you know, we've we've just been through you know quite the route in the markets mm. in March. And uh, I'm not allowed to give financial advice. Yes. Um, that is not my role. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be objective. I'm not trained as a financial advisor, so I don't give advice. The only thing I can say is. Um, what I would do myself yes. and I'd say if I had the capacity and I had some money that I don't need to keep aside for necessities, mm. I would invest in a time like this. Yes, yes. Even if you had one billion of Warren Buffett's <laughs> 80 billion, I'm sure we could do lots of stuff with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, look, he's, he's obviously done very well yes. and, and that, that particular mm. adage has, uh, has served him very mm. well as yeah. well. Yeah, it's a good mm. one, Mandy. Mm. So where do you go to for your kind of resources on for staying up to date with finance? Mm. Um, it is quite difficult, isn't it? Because we're bombarded 24-7 mm. with information these days. Yeah. We, we have a content overload, you know, option paralysis. Um, you know, you, you have financial advice and financial information at, literally at the tip of a, of a Google search button. Um, and so I think for everybody, I think it can be quite overwhelming. So um, credible and good information is 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 hard to find. Yeah. So long as you know where to go. So I personally use um, we I, we do a lot of um, 
pumping out of information from CNBC ourselves, for example, yeah. on CNBC Online. So, you know, I use a lot of the um, fantastic work that is being done by my colleagues from CNBC Online, but also in terms of wire services. Um, so for example, Reuters yeah. is a yeah. really great resource. Um, Bloomberg is a really great resource, even though they're one of CNBC's competitors. Yeah. Um, I think they're an absolutely fantastic resource. There's a lot of really great information out there. Yeah. But in terms of just getting a quick grab first thing in the morning when you wake up, yeah. um, Twitter. Of course. And you have to cert- you have to really sift through mm. and only, you know, follow those who you, who you trust and know. Yeah. Um, but I think for getting a really quick instant snapshot mm. of what's happening in the world mm. in terms of headline grabs mm. and yeah. to get a sense of, you know, the day that's about to shape up, I think Twitter is actually a really good place to go. How mm. influential do you think Twitter is on, on markets? Because obviously the audience has some impact on what you deliver in the news. Mm-hmm. But do you find the same when the, when the kind of conversation shifts onto one topic? Does that have an influence on what you report for the day? Does Twitter move the market? Yeah. Yes, it yeah. does. Right. It absolutely does. And this is why we've seen in the past Twitter has been hacked mm. and um, the hackers have pretended to be a company putting out um, an official release yeah. and it's moved the markets and the company has had to like, you know, obviously make a statement and immediately say, whoa, 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 we were hacked. Yeah. Um, Twitter absolutely does move the markets. And yeah. when I was working in the New York office for CNBC, um, we were all told to be on Twitter mm-hmm. and use it as a journalistic tool. Mm-hmm. And it really came to the fore during the Arab Spring mm-hmm. when first-hand accounts of people in Tahrir Square were tweeting what was happening on the ground. Yeah. And when you think about the old style of journalism where, you know, the journalist would, you know, interview somebody, write it up, maybe call it through, you know, to, to the office. Um, if you're a print journo, you know, the newspaper wouldn't come out until the next day. Yeah. Everything was old. Mm-hmm. Everything was old. Yeah. But Twitter was instantaneous. It was firsthand again. So you have to be careful about reliability and credibility. Mm-hmm. But it, it did move markets and it gave everybody a front row seat, a ringside view of what Mm. was happening there and then. Um, So, yeah, I think it's with... I think it was Spider-Man that said with great power comes... No, is it with great power comes great great responsibility? Yeah, Yeah, and I think Mm. all of these platforms, whether you're Facebook or whether you're Twitter, whatever organisation you are, if you have the ability to move the markets like that, Mm. and for some people it could be a big money-losing decision that they make because they saw the wrong headline or they got erroneous information, um, again, you have to be very, very careful and know your sources. Mm, it's yeah. so interesting. Trust your sources. Mm, if yeah. you're going to get from somewhere like Twitter or Facebook, make sure that you've got a credible source. Yes, yeah, that's so true. Um, you see even in um, this difficult COVID period, I mean, some kind of rumour or tweet or yes. whatever that there's a new vaccine, I mean, straight away you see movements in Absolutely. Biotechs or, you know, Absolutely. Or, or other health-related stocks purely mm-hmm. on that basis. Mm-hmm. And quite often it's not just a rumour. but uh, That's so right. There's a whole lot of volatility attached to markets that sometimes can end up really affecting share prices. And Absolutely. It's on, it's, um, it's on no substantial basis, you know, but that's the world we live in. It's, there's a whole, a whole lot of great stuff attached to this very modern, very instant today world, but then there's the downside as well. And you must see that all the time. Oh, the absolutely see it all the time. And so if there's anything that is um, market moving, um, we are told at CNBC to to double check it before yes. you go live. Yeah. Um, 
or if you do go live with something that seems to be breaking across the wires, because obviously as we're broadcasting, most mm. of it is most of it is um, nearly all of CNBC is live, mm. and um, we have various screens in front of us with all the mm. wire services, so we can sort of see all the breaking news as it occurs. Um, we always have to check with the producer check with potentially the company, check with the source, mm. just make sure that what you are putting out mm. is not going to unfairly or erroneously move the markets and, again, mm. affect someone's financial decisions. Mm. You know, someone should might buy something on the back of that and it's yes. like, oh, mm. sorry, five yeah. minutes later, sorry, my yeah. bad, yes. just making a, making a correction here. That yeah. just doesn't cut it. And there mm. would be a whole lot of, you know, in this country, ASIC, you know, um, a whole lot of regulators rules about what the media I mean I guess that would Absolutely. be something that they're telling you that but they're bad they have to tell you that yes. because of the, its implications yes. but no. um, we always have to be incredibly careful with yeah, what we you do would, and I'm yeah. sure you are mm. Mandy yeah. <laughs> 100% believe in you yeah. what do you think is the the most interesting thing about being in finance like what would you tell to other women to in order for them to engage with kind of the business and finance news yeah that's a really good question actually Claire because um you know, I'll never forget back in the 1980s, my mm. mother telling me about her friend who had been an incredibly um, comfortable, if not wealthy, friend. And then suddenly she split up from her husband and then found that her husband had drained all the bank accounts mm. and had run off overseas. Mm. And she was left with nothing. And I remember my mum turning around to me and I was just a teenager and saying, never let that happen to you. Mm. Always be in control of your own finances. Um, even if you don't have a whole lot of money, at least understand about your finances and always know what money is in which bank account and where it's invested because she said it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And sure enough, that was back in the 1980s, but sure enough, I have a friend who just recently exactly the same thing happened to her. Such she discovered that her husband had all these bank accounts in overseas. Oh, you know, yeah. locations that was very difficult for her to... Uh, she didn't know about them and it was very difficult for her then, you know, to, to access them as well. Mm. So, you know what, it's a timeless theme and it doesn't always just mm. happen to women. It can happen to men as well. Yes. It can happen to anybody. Yes. But I think the bottom line is, um, statistically speaking, you would know this with all your work with, you know, women and finance finances. Uh, statistically speaking, women don't tend to engage so much in the family finances beyond, say, the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. And some of it might be um, lack of confidence. It might be cultural factors. It mm -hmm. might be wanting to avoid conflict. You know, they don't want to have the awkward conversation about finances. Yeah. And, um, or maybe just don't take the time to sit down and go, go through everything. Um, so that's the advice that I would give is whoever you are, w women, men, teens. Yeah. You're never too old to learn. Absolutely, is make sure that you're uh, you're across it and engaged yeah. financially. Mm. That's a really good tip from your mum. Do you remember? It is. What else? What else would you say? The key lessons that your mum or your grandmother or some significant female mentors in your life gave you. I'll give you time to think about that. You know, um, that's a really good question. I would say that one of the things that my mother handed down to me, and I'm not sure. Apologies, mum, if you ever listen to this. I'm not <laughs> sure this is actually a good thing. Um, my mum grew up in a very financially insecure household mm. um, and my father, who was in a job connected to the property, property industry, also went through a spectacular boom and bust mm. in the 1980s. Yeah. Um, and so I personally think, I think 
when we have a relationship with money, we're a function of how we grew up with it, mm-hmm. right? We are a function of our emotional um, manifestations of money. And I think that I'm a little bit, therefore, insecure about my relationship with money. I feel like money is not necessarily always that going to be there for you. I, I feel that money comes and money goes. Mm. So just because you've made money or you're mm. making money now, don't like sit back on your laurels mm. and feel like, oh, mm. I've made it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think you should ever be complacent mm. about money mm. um, or start like suddenly, you know, you come into all this money and mm. you start spending it like crazy mm. because that's the quickest way to lose mm. it as well. Mm. Um, so I, when you say about a legacy or something that my parents have handed down to me, I would say it is it is that feeling of never being 100 percent secure mm. with having money. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's so sensible. I mean, I guess, Mandy, in some ways superannuation has helped women mm-hmm. and we're doing a lot of work on superannuation and we know that women tend not to have as much super as they uh, as a male counterpart mm-hmm. because they're in and out of the workforce quite right. often or they're in lower-paid jobs and therefore the percentage that goes into super is lower. But it's something that's going to be a target for us, Claire, as you yeah. would know, because super, you can't touch it and mm. it is helping secure a comfort comfort for you when you get older so that was an introduction by Keating government and it was even though there's a review of it and you know people have been drawing money out of super but it's what you're saying it's that nest egg that you have absolutely or those times when you need it yeah. that's right and so. um where did I read it um once you're retired, you need approximately, at least as a couple, at least $60,000 a year if you want to have a comfortable yeah. mm. retirement. Mm. Well, considering we're all living longer, that's yes. an awful lot of money every mm. single year that you're going right. to need. If you want to have the kind of retirement that you would mm. really like, where yeah. you don't feel like you have to be counting your pennies and you mm. can't take that overseas holiday. No. Um, and quite often, I mean, that, that 60000 figure, that would mean that you don't suggest that you would own your own home. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. So that would just really cover your lifestyle Absolutely. Expenses. And we all know once you have children, and I know that you have, like <laughs> me, two sons, yes. that they can be expensive forever. <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah, Aren't never they now, like, you know, yeah. li- living with us until average age 30? Uh, <laughs> yes. What are we going to do about that? Yeah. <laughs> So part of me thinks, oh, I'd rather like that. And then the other part of me thinks is like, nah, yeah. you yeah. need to you need to do your own thing. Well, particularly yeah. when the partner moves in as well. So <laughs> yeah. and, the, and their dog. Yeah, and their, yeah, yeah. And, and then they have their kids. kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's actually kind of nice with mum, you know, yeah. Yeah. home-cooked yeah. meals and the like. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of becoming yeah. like that old European model of having the whole like three generations of a family in yes. one house. It's just the new Which isn't way. so stupid, you know. Mm. You know, yeah. it, it works beautifully for so many so so many countries, you know, because some, I spent 10 years in Asia where it was absolutely the norm, that's the norm. That's to right. have your three generations, mm. if not more, under the one house. Yeah. And when I think about it, you know, in Singapore, it allowed the women to go back into the workforce right. at a time that they wanted to. Exactly. When I say, mm. at they, when, I say when, when they wanted mm. to, I mean, it could have been after two months after mm. giving birth or it might have been two years after mm. giving birth, but they had the choice yeah. to be able to go back mm. when they wanted to because they had all this home help That's right. in the form of a grandparent. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, with us here in Australia where the norm tends to be more the nuclear family, yeah. Yeah. you know, whether you're a home dad or a home mum, 
um, it's so hard. Definitely. It's so hard. You don't necessarily be, you know, you don't have the freedom to make the choices necessarily that you want to because, yeah. you know, you're desperately trying to pay for childcare as well as, you know, have a job. And it's yeah. just so, there are so many push and pulls, I think, with a nuclear family. No, it just creates a lot of issues. It's mm. good in a way because you've got your independence. Sure. And you don't have mum and dad or the in-laws breathing yeah. down your neck, but you also don't have the positive things yeah. as well. Yeah. It's funny though when you were talking about, you know, they stay in your house and Thea, who's great, um, she's working on the Tilly, um, our Tilly project as well with us and she's starting to write articles and Thea's fabulous as a money manager and she had an article that I was reading and it had ways to save, seven ways to save money. I think that was the title, yes. Claire. Yeah. And it had one of them was, you know, if you really want to save, you know, and you find that you want to buy a house, get a deposit – you can always just go back and live with your parents. <laughs> and as a parent reading this, you know, Thea doesn't have children at this stage. Yeah. As a parent reading this, I'm thinking, can you? Which <laughs> I, I know that you know that happens all the time. But I just love the way that oh, they want me back. Yeah, it's <laughs> so always an option. It's always like, it's an it's option. Always on but, the table. But is it an option really from the parents? Yeah, because we kind of started to like each other again. Yeah. And yeah. Or got to know each other differently, and now you're going to come back. Yeah. yeah so, There's no yeah, choice. Yeah. yeah so. But getting on to other things um, as well and uh, in terms of, you know, when you look at yourself sometimes, Mandy, and you say, oh, God, I wish I had known that when I was young. Yeah. How fabulous, you know, would it be now? And lots of that comes back to money too. Yes. If, if only I knew then what I know now, mm. but that's experience. But if you went back to, say, Mandy, Drury, 21, 22, whatever, would you tell her and we laugh and because Claire you've added this if Mandy would listen to you <laughs> yeah. yeah that's actually yeah. The, yeah. Key most thing. Yeah. the most important point yeah. um so I would say buy property mm. to a youngster and mm. I have said this to to my own 17 year old son mm-hmm. buy property and I wish that I had bought property in my 20s mm. Um, I didn't because I was largely like traveling for work wow. in different countries. And so we were just renting wherever we were because we didn't know how long we were going to be sure. in that country. So mm-hmm. so we're just renting. But I wish, wish, wish that I had bought property mm-hmm. back in my 20s and got on the, got on the property ladder. Um, because I do remember in the early 2000s when I was still in my 20s, not yet 30, um, and going over to Centova. Sentosa Cove. Do you know mm. where Sentosa is? Singapore. It's that little luxury mm. sort of resort island yeah. that's um, to the south of Singapore. Mm. And um, my husband and I went over and we had a look at a property that was just mm. actually off the plan. Mm. And at the time it was $1 million mm. in Sentosa Cove. And we ummed and about it and we thought, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be lovely? Mm. It was on the beach. And, and we thought, oh, no, look, one thousand. That was a one million dollars. That's way too much. You know, I won't. Yeah. I won't. I won't be so. You know, yes. so silly and buy a one million dollar property. Well, I had a look at how much those Sentosa mm. Cove properties cost now. Eighteen million dollars. Wow. Oh yeah. If only. Yeah. If only. And I keep on thinking about sliding doors. Yeah. Like if we had bought that property and it was worth eighteen million dollars right now. Um, do I regret that? Mm. Sure. Part of me thinks, mm. wouldn't that have been nice? Mm. And we were that close yeah. to literally buying this $1 million mm. property off, off the plan. But then I also think, um, had I bought that property and we had $18 million, mm. um, it would be a very different life than we have today. And mm. are we happy today? Mm. Yes. Mm. Do yeah. I really enjoy what I'm doing today? Yeah. 
Yes, mm. if I had $18 million, maybe I wouldn't be doing mm. what I am today. Maybe mm. I would have stopped work a long time ago. And what a pity mm. that would have been. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't have met all these wonderful people through work. I probably wouldn't have met you. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Mm. It would mm. be literally a sliding doors moment yeah. where you go in a completely different trajectory because you've mm. got all that money. And also too, Mandy, at that time, you just probably, possibly, probably, didn't even know of Warren Buffett because you said that Warren Buffett, that line, mm. be fearful when others are greedy yes, and greedy when others are fearful. Now, that property was priced. I know you're just talking about an inflationary trend of property. Mm. So that's what's pushed the price from $1 million to. But you were fearful at the time. Yes. But you didn't tap into, yes. you know, that maybe this is a good thing because you didn't have that knowledge. And yes. You'd be you different now if you were on on Sentosa. And I think perhaps. back to your point is um, when you were saying, would you have even listened? Mm. Even if someone had said to us back then, oh, you should buy this because it's going to be a great investment. Mm. You know, in 20 years time, yes. it's going to be worth, you know, 18, $18 million or more. Would we have necessarily listened to them? You might yes. have thought, oh, no, they're yes. just a salesman. Yeah. They're just yeah. an yeah. agent yeah. doing yeah. what agents yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm, exactly. So it is, it is hard to take advice when you're in your 20s. It's very hard. And you could have been in your 20s and they could have been a salesman and it could have been a dud property. It you know, and you wouldn't have had property. that developed instinct. You know, mm. it could be worth nothing now. Who knows? It could be that's underwater, right. you know, now. But And, um, and that's the thing with um, property markets in places like Singapore and like Hong Kong. They can they can halve yes. or they can double yes. or they can triple. Mm. Um, there are much bigger price swings than we experience here in Australia. Yes, mm. There's always opportunities and nothing's a sure thing right no, that's, no, a that's, a like that's mix. right yeah. the learnings here i'm going to give this a big plug the learnings here on tilly money <laughs> sensational. so mandy you are going to have that property on sentosa i'm going to have the property in new york and Claire. i don't know where i'll end up <laughs> well, you've already got a property yeah i just yeah. bought a property yeah, yeah. because you've I'm been exposed sorted. to financial oh. information yeah. where, where did you buy the property uh in burwood in sydney Fantastic, so, fantastic. Yeah. First home buyer. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so So back to what you were saying, like what would, advice would you give, you know, a 25-year-old? I'd say yeah. like, you know, buy the property, not necessarily where you want to live. Yeah. You know, buy the property where you can afford, yeah. you know, still live with your parents or live <laughs> in a share house and, you know, forgo, forgo the uh, the two lattes a day and exactly. the Uber Eats mm, every yeah. single day and pay off pay off the mortgage yeah. and then one day that house will be yours. Exactly. Yeah. When your sons are 40 or 50 and still living with you, Mandy, I'm going to go get that, send them this quote. Yeah. Go and live with your parents. <laughs> um, and just as a final question, can you tell us about your greatest personal investment, which could be in terms of education, in time, or in money? My dog. Yeah. Um, so I bought a, a Corona canine, a, a puppy, um, the first weekend of lockdown in mm. March, mm. and apparently she's doubled in value. Whoa. <laughs> which is, I'm gonna <laughs> so my husband keeps on joking that we're going to have to sell her to pay for the new carpet that we need that, that oh. she's destroyed. <laughs> oh but like she's literally doubled in value since March because uh, apparently, um, and, and this is actually a wonderful, it's, the, it's one of the silver linings of, of COVID, and that is that um, dogs and cats and other animals in shelters mm. all the way around the world yeah. have been adopted, yeah. and um, and that's a, that's a wonderful mm. heartwarming and story. And their owners are at home with them. And their know, owners are at home yeah, with them, so they're all going to be desperately anxious yes. and, uh, oh, and yes, suffer from yeah. anxiety in the future when we all have to go back to work. Yes. But for the moment, it's uh, it's all good. What's your dog's name? Miso. 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 Oh, yeah, oh cute. Yeah. Wonderful. Animals yeah. just. 
pay dividends galore, don't oh, they, they do. in happiness? Yeah. They really, really do, don't mm. they? Yeah. 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 Unconditional love. That's it. Well, thank Andy. you so much for coming on the show, Mandy. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. And we'd love to have you back on again it's because you're a fabulous role model. I adore you. You know that. And, oh, it's, uh, it's very mutual, Maureen. And uh, it's and thank you so morning. much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I would love to be part of that conversation about op shopping because <laughs> yes. I'm quite passionate about about reusing, recycling, oh, the sharing it's, economy, oh, it's throwing fantastic. nothing away. Yep. Yes, I could be yes. on that show called Hoarders. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, we love it. Thank Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks so for much coming. for having me. Thanks. Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan and Claire Osman. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.